Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. So glad you could join us today, and happy five-year anniversary. Five years ago, this very week, I dropped my first episode of Advancing Our Church, and I began my podcasting journey, and it has been a terrific journey so far. We brought some wonderful resources uh, to this show, and they have shared their expertise, their wisdom, their knowledge, and, and we just continue to get great feedback back about our episode. So thank you for all your great ideas. Continue to send those in to us uh, for your show ideas, for your guest ideas. And uh, I'm just so thrilled and honored that we could share this journey together. Happy anniversary. I'm also excited to share with you that our son Dylan is graduating from high school this weekend, so congratulations to Dylan. He will be starting his studies in architecture in college this fall, and we couldn't be more proud. So of course that means that we are going to be empty nesters. That's right, but all good stuff. Good things are happening for the Friend family. Keep us in your prayers. We will continue to keep you in our prayers. I hope you find some time this summer to rest and recharge the batteries. We aren't going anywhere this summer, so I hope you'll join us every other week for a new episode of Advancing Our Church right here. I know that we're getting this episode out just a couple of days late, so my apologies, but I think that you'll find that this guest and this topic was worth the wait. And so, let's get to work. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Hans Plate, the founder and president of a company called Venia, and they recently conducted a study of the impact of COVID-19 on Catholics in the United States. I think you're going to find his results very interesting. And so without further ado, here is Hans Plate. So pleased to have with us Hans Plate, the founder and president of Venia Research. Uh, Hans, welcome to the program. Glad to have you with us today. Hello, Jim. Happy to be here. So let me just provide for our listeners a little introduction to Hans and a little bit about his firm, and then we'll get right into it. Hans' firm focuses on the science of market research on organizations that serve the Catholic Church to provide a higher caliber, action-oriented market research to parishes, church leadership, apostolates, and advocacy groups. Hans brings more than 25 years of experience providing professional market research to industry-leading companies such as Pfizer and Medtronic. And today we're going to learn more about Hans, his firm, and the new report that they just published on the impact of COVID-19 on Catholic lives. Again, welcome, Hans. Uh, such a, a great, have such great, tremendous respect for your work. And I think the value that this report is going to bring uh, to parishes, because I think speaking as, a, as somebody who's worked at the diocesan level and somebody who's worked at the parish level, I think there's somebody something in this for everybody. And, and whether or not they, they want to look at the macro or just how this impacts them at home, uh, I was really impressed with the scope of your report. Well, that, that was my desire, um, was to provide information that pastors could use specifically to um, just to understand a little bit about their flock, right? Um, Absolutely. So, so my background is in, in um, market research that I mentioned in the commercial world, and we refer to it as customer insights, not so much market research, even though technically is what it is. Right. But it's, again, getting the insights into the constituency that you serve so that you can better serve them, right? Um, so the more informed you are, the better decisions you can hopefully make. Um, and the, the, the more diagnostic information you have in a, in a way, uh, again, you know what, um, you know, as a physician, you have to ask, so what hurts? And then you can do something about the hurt. And so, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, more philosophical than I intended, but that's, that's kind of what I was hoping to do with this particular um, project. And it is somewhat comprehensive. So I touch on a few different um, subjects and I can only go so deep uh, in right. my, my hope is to really get into 
some of these topics a little bit more deeply in future studies as well. Absolutely. Well, first, let's take a step back. And, and I know you come uh, from the market research, uh, the science of market research before you formed this company, but tell us a little bit about Veneer Research. It's, it's, it does uh, you know, start with me since I, I founded the company. Sure. Um, and, and my background was in um, essentially healthcare research. Okay. A lot of the work we did there was pre-launch. So in the years prior to a, a, a medication being approved for, um, for, for use, they would do all sorts of work in, in uh, better understanding who their target audience is. So for example, if you're developing a new medication for diabetes, also understand about the, you know, the people with diabetes, the doctors who treat it and, you do a whole bunch of projects and studies that basically you get to know the customer so well um, that when I was going through a process of discerning the diaconate, one of the one of the talks we had on our RCIA team that I was I was a part of uh, as the team was around time, talent, and treasure. Okay. And time, it's easy to conceptualize, right? You just volunteer or you know give give up your time. Uh, treasure, the same idea, you know, donate to to their different causes. But it was the talent part that really. Um, got me thinking about how, how do we, you know, how do I do that? Is there any talent that I have that I could apply to the church? And there was, and which is just providing information, which is uh, exactly the case. And so after that, it became a, a slow process of trying to figure out, well, how do I actually do this? Uh, and, and I formed Vinia Research uh, basically to do that. And, and, and over my years of, of doing research in the commercial world, what I did is I um, I made a lot of contacts, of course, moderators, statisticians, project managers. And so I reached out to a lot of the ones that I respected. And I basically asked some questions about the faith. Where are you with the faith? And lo and behold, several of them were Catholic. Um, and, and so some of them were, were just Christian. And so brought them on board to, to help um, round out our offerings with, uh, with Vinia Research. Wonderful. Tell me a little bit about the name. Why Vinia Research? So naming a company is a very difficult thing because you have to find um, words that are meaningful and then yep. domains that are available. And so um, I was struggling mightily with uh, with the, the name, but I was reading and reflecting on John 15. And I was just struck by the fact that Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And the whole abiding um, was just it was just mind blowing to me, really, to, to believe that we can have such a close um, union and relationship with Jesus. And so, you know, the whole concept of the vineyard and the vine, you know, I am the true vine. It just struck me that really we are then part of the, we, we make up the vineyard. And so, so that's the origin of the word. And vinia is a Latin uh, rendering of of um, of vine and vineyard. And and so that's nice. how I finally came to to that particular name. I am the vine; you are the branches. I think that was one of our most recent gospel readings in the daily. Reading. I know. I was very excited. I get very excited every time uh, I hear that. <laughs> um, you know, it's part of mass. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's us. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> exactly. great. Hans, tell us a little bit about this study. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, I, I am going to put a link in our show notes so that our listeners can can find it easily online. But uh, if you could just give us a little bit of an overview of what you measured and and some of the the results that you received? One of the first things I did, actually, the, the, the idea for this particular study came from a pastor friend who said, we just, and he knew what I did for a living. And he said, we just don't have good data on Catholics and the impact that COVID has had on them and what their future intentions are. And so I, I took that, I, I had, and then I have uh, additional conversations with other pastors and associate pastors from different parts of the country. Um, we formed an instrument to measure this. Um, and this is research that we funded ourselves. We did it uh, as, as part of Vinia. Um, we, 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 we administered the instrument, the survey, and then we refined it 
uh, and then finally administer this one. And so we, this is one that was ultimately completed with a, a little bit or by over 1500 uh, Catholics uh, across the country um, using a panel company called Dynata, which is the, one of the larger consumer panels. We use them in commercial research all the time. Um, and we, there were two requirements to, to participate in the survey. One is that they self-identify as Catholic. The other is that they go to mass at least once a year. But really, we focus on those who go to mass more often. So this is predominantly a survey among those who go to mass monthly or weekly. So, of, for example, of the 1,500, 955, prior to pandemic anyway, went to mass weekly or more often. So that's that's the, the general gist of the, of the survey and or of the the audience that we we, we surveyed. The, the survey itself had a few different components to it. The first was just a general overview of what kind of impact did COVID have on people's lives, Catholics' lives. And, and some of them were faith-related, others were not. So it was just a general, a general question. And then we went into specifically the impact on faith lives, and then mass attendance, streaming, and then future intent of both physically going to mass as well as contribution levels uh, to the church. So th- that's, I guess, the overview of what went into the survey and, and, and how it came about? Wonderful. And and were there were the uh, were there results that kind of surprised you when 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 the results came back? You know, a little bit. I I, I try to approach these as objectively as possible. Right. Sure. I don't want to have any bias when I when I when I analyze the results. Yeah. But inevitably, I do have my own like you know, of course, perceptions of what you know what the what the findings might look like, and and that's right. also helpful when reviewing whether or not there were any mistakes in the programming or the you know the analysis that we did. But anyway, I think one of the what didn't surprise me, first of all, was that COVID did have a, a varied impact on Catholics, right? Just like any other group. I mean, the Catholic, the Catholic population is a very diverse population. So the impact of COVID is going to be pretty significant. So, so right off the bat, it's roughly a third, a third, a third who said that um, their lives today are either the same as, worse than, or better than they were prior to the pandemic. The, the slightly larger group, 39%, indicated that their lives are slightly worse off. Um, today than than it was before the pandemic. Um, but then what, what was surprising to me is that we, we later asked the question about faith in God and has it changed over the course of the pandemic? And what we found is that no, um, well, that, that, that it didn't, but that it didn't, it didn't correlate with how their lives were affected. So even among the 39% who say their lives are worse off, yeah. Their faith in God has not diminished. Uh, if anything, it's grown a little bit for, for some, for, for many. Um, so largely speaking, people's Faith in God either stayed the same or, or grew, which was a, a little bit surprising. I expected to be a be a strong relationship between what you know how how they fared uh, over the over the course of the pandemic and you know what their faith faith in God would be like, but that wasn't the case at all. Which is a pleasant a pleasant surprise, of course. Also, not surprising to hear that some folks' life, a lot of the folks' life, might be the quality of life might not be what it was yeah. uh, pre pandemic, especially given what the economy has been doing this year. Um, what was the time span when you when you did uh, conducted the survey? Was it late last year in 2021 or? No, it was it was fresher than that. It was um, February of this year. February, okay, February, uh, the second half of February. So, so yeah. we're out of Omicron. You know, it's really right. the timing of this is kind of like so. What's the right timing for administering a survey? Because there are these surges, and of course, in December and January, there's a pretty significant Omicron surge. Um, but but this is after that. So now the cases are going down. 
um, we're entering in the, the latter part of, of, uh, of, of February. And so basically it was over the course of two weeks that uh, the respondents completed the survey. And so, they, I mean, it's, it, as, like you say, it's, it's very fresh. And so the impacts that we're feeling right now, the economy, I'm sure, are very prevalent to them when they took, took this survey. But right. the, it, it's heartening also to hear that they still have this strong connection, this strong faith in God. And in some cases, it's been increased. But the other, the other side of that I noticed in the survey is that many of them have found almost a comfortable numb, if you will, I'm, I'm using that term loosely, in not attending Mass, though. And, and, and can you tell, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is where we get into some of the more um, disappointing findings or disconcerting findings. Really, sure. We get into uh, the mass and some of the reasons that people don't anticipate or they anticipate not attending mass physically. So anyway, so so a large number were observing mass virtually. That continues to, to this day, really. Uh, they're, they're relying significantly on, on virtual mass attendance. And ultimately, if we look specifically at the people who went to mass weekly or more often before COVID, they're, they're still going to be engaged with the mass by either attending or observing vir- virtually, you know, every week, right? So I, I, I think the number was uh, 69% or, no, sorry, 89%. 89% were still going to be uh, observing or attending mass every week. The, the problem is when you got into like, well, are you going to be physically present all the time? And, and that number came down significantly, came down to 61%. So really, right. you know, from, from, Again, people in the pews all the time, right? Before COVID, uh, you know, six out of ten expect to be in in the in the pews full time uh, coming back. Mm-hmm. In a separate line of questioning, we we ask them, you know, so do you do you see yourself physically present at mass in, in the next three months? And and if they say no to that, we said, okay, well, why why not? Or we ask why not? And that that's where uh, the real in, insider or you know information, I guess, really came to came to us in the data, which was that there there were two buckets of of information or of of, of um, responses that they could could select. One of them had to do with uh, illness, vulnerability, um, having someone vulnerable in their lives, right, from a health perspective or or in their household. So there were obviously people that selected that as a reason for not physically attending mass. But then we had this other category of responses that had to do with convenience or preference. So I don't have to drive to mass, right? I just got used to mass, um, watching mass. Um, I don't have to participate in, in terms of the, you know, singing, praying out loud, um, standing, kneeling, sitting, all of that. And that, the, 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 I think it was 40% who selected only those reasons as reasons that they would not physically attend mass, hmm. which are obviously all the wrong reasons. And, and that's... That's a huge red flag and alert um, about about this, you know, what, what about the impact of the pandemic, right? I, my my concern is that a lot of them are not going to come back because they're not expecting to come back uh, right. thus far. And as we start shutting down virtual uh, streaming of masses, they're just going to they don't have a compelling reason to go, right? If their reason for not going today is that it's easier, you know, if you turn it off, then well, it's easier to stay home, right? Or I can. Do anything else, um, but but not this. So anyway, so that that's the big that's a big um, you know disappointment in, in the results that we're seeing a lot of a, a lot of Catholics who are saying that you know from a convenience perspective, virtual streaming of masses has you know made made physically pres- physical attendance at mass a little bit less um, compelling and interesting for me. Well, you, you touch on, on on obviously the two main buckets there. Uh, both of them, I think, I've encountered either through friends or through family. I certainly have family members who 
um, our elderly who feel, you know, are concerned about their own safety and their own health and with the different variants that go around. Um, but then also, it, it, as my bishop, ha- I've heard him say, it's going to be difficult to find a more comfortable seat than your own couch to watch yeah. mass. And then so the, the, the idea of to the understanding the real presence of the Eucharist or the, that need to be, you know, one with the Eucharist or be together in community. Um, somehow it feels as though we fail a little bit on the educational side of, of things as, as we formed Catholics and in the need for community and in the need for the Eucharist. Did your, your, I don't imagine your research touched too much on that, but that's been, um, that's been some of the themes that I've encountered in my own uh, discussions with people. Correct. Um, so the research itself didn't, but the conclusion is, is, is a, you know, I reached the same conclusion. I think in many respects, we're, you know, we're paying the price for perhaps less than optimal catechesis around mm-hmm. what the mass is, because there is the Eucharistic component. There is the community component. There's a sacrificial component. Even if you're not taking communion, it's important for you to be in mass, to participate right. in the sacrifice of the mass. And, and people just don't understand that. And, you, you know, I went through another exercise with, um, you know, with another group around, around the mass. And this existed before COVID, making time for sports for your children instead of going to mass, right? Um, and so that, that simply is another way in which, you know, it speaks to the fact that they don't understand. A lot of Catholics don't understand the why behind the presence of being at the mass. And unfortunately, this is, you know, what we're seeing here pretty clearly in my view. Absolutely. Did your study touch a little bit on on giving or uh, further engagement beyond the life in in the life of the church? Not furthering uh, further engagement, but definitely on on giving. We went okay. into uh, giving a little bit. And one of the yeah. questions we actually a couple of questions we asked was was first whether or not their giving, how their giving was affected, I guess, by the pandemic. Sure. And uh, you know, we we asked pre-pandemic and giving levels, and then what their existing level was. So basically the past three months, starting in February and going backwards. And basically what we found is that giving did go down, not a huge, huge amount, but it did go down. So, um, you know, our media, our result of, of the giving amount at a median, median level, which is another measure of central tendency, similar to a mean, what was, let's say before the pandemic, they were giving $70 uh, to their parish a month. Now they're at about $60 per month. Okay. So, Again, it's a decline. Um, it's what, is, what does that work out to? Maybe maybe uh, twelve or fourteen percent, something in that range. Right. Uh, overall giving level has declined. And now I will say anecdotally, in talking with a few pastors about this, one of the one of their observations has been that everyone saw this coming. Right. When, once the pandemic hit, they saw the, the financial impact that, that would happen uh, at the par- at the uh, at the parish level, and so a lot of parishes seem to have had a group of givers of, of, of parishioners who knew this and gave more. Right. Yeah, so we've tried to try to, that. yeah, just to try to kind of um, balance out a little bit about what they expected. But anyway, yeah. so so as a whole, though, it's 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 declined, uh, and then the number that gave nothing has also increased. Right. So okay. that that number went up. It used to be that at least among our our respondents, three percent only three percent didn't give anything um, before the pandemic. Now that that number is up to ten percent. Right. Mm. And so that that's a more significant increase. But again, it's it's offset a little bit by some of the others who are giving a little bit more. I, I would argue that number might even be higher uh, as, as far as those that don't give anything. And in, in, in our experience in working with parishes, you know, we find the average is 30 to 40 percent give something during the course of the year. But vast the vast majority of parishes, you see better than 50 percent of parishioners who are actually registered. They may not be attending mass, but they're on the rolls 
um, and mm. not not giving anything financially to their parish. It's interesting. Yes. Well, and I think it was interesting is I want to tease that out at some point because you have a lot who are registered but not attending mass. So people register so that their kids can go through the sacraments or maybe yep. just habitually. But we know that the kids are being dropped off and they do not see mass right on on Sundays, mm-hmm. uh, even though they'll make the, the 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 catechesis at a convenient time, right? So they can attend mass and then go straight to, to catechesis, but they don't. They'll be dropped off and things like that. But I do I do want to get into that a little bit later. Um, well, not not later today, but just later in a different study. But the other yeah. interesting thing, like statistically anyway, that I like to to look into further is there is this phenomenon of overestimating and underestimating, right? Overestimating positive behaviors, underestimating negative behaviors, that at some point is a nut that we need to crack that I haven't seen cracked in the Catholic world. So in the commercial world, people, you know, if you ask, well, what percent of your patients would be prescribed this drug? There's a, there's a discounting formula that we use because it's likely they're, they're overestimating that, that figure, but there's a process for that. I think we can do the same in the Catholic church. And so I'm going to start, you know, engaging a few folks into how best to do that so that we can get an accurate forecast uh, mm-hmm. of that, because it is really based on self-perception and self-statement, um, right? More than anything else. Absolutely. And I know that many parishes also, they struggle with just maintaining good records on folks, you know, and just because of living and <laughs> help true. in the office and, and just maybe it hasn't been a priority, but certainly good data on that is sometimes a challenge to find. We found um, in our work with different dioceses and different parishes around the country that um, a much greater percentage of people are now giving online than ever before. Um, and that may contribute why it just didn't drop off, off a cliff. Some some dioceses um, are now fully handling all parish giving, and they have that option. You can go to the diocesan website, select your parish, and make your weekly contribution. And um, but many others are doing it on their own and engaging different companies. And I don't know, did you did you guys get into the um, into the method by which people give, or just the giving overall at this point? Just the giving overall at yeah. this point. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say one one positive note on the future intent to give. Yeah. Well, most expect to give at the same level they're they're currently giving at. The the those who will increase their giving are greater than those who say that they will decrease their future giving. So again, right. I think I think we'll we'll further close that gap. Um, you know, from where we are now in, in pre-COVID. Uh, so that's a little bit of, of, of positive news uh, as well. That's wonderful. You said you've talked to some pastors about the results. I know the results are still very fresh, but what's what are some of the other what's some of the feedback that you've received from this study? Well, a little bit of of, of shock um, mm-hmm. at some of the figures we we discussed before and concern yeah. about the numbers who who are not expecting to come back, um, and 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 then some of the reasons that 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 they're not. So that that was a big. That was a big um, concern, and one of the questions that has come up has been: well, Do we con- do we continue streaming? Um, um, well, the first question was: Are people watching uh, the streams? Uh, and I think the answer is yes to that. But then the, the the other question is: Do we do we need to continue? And what I've been telling them is: I think I think there's there are two reasons to continue. Um, I, I understand why you why you would argue not to, which is to get them into church, right? Which is, sure. makes perfect sense. My, my recommendation to continue are, are twofold. One is you do have people who are, um, you know, have legitimate health concerns um, uh, and, and, and live with people who are vulnerable, you know, health issues. Yes. So that's a way to minister and keep them connected. But then the other is for those who are selecting convenience reasons, um, I, I think this is the only thread we have to them. And so if we shut it out, if yes. we shut it down, then, then we've lost them. Right. And I guess the, the the second part to that 
point is that can we do something to help them in the streaming? So for example, welcoming them or inviting them back, right? At the beginning, the, the priests typically say something, you know, thank you for being here to any visitors, you know, thank you for here. Um, you know, please see me after, after mass, we could talk a little bit more, whatever the case may be. Can we also say, if you're streaming and you've been thinking about coming back and you haven't, please come back, right? We want you here. It's good for you. Not to get into catechesis, but just to invite them back. Yes. Plant a seed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, some people have safety concerns, which you can say, you know, you can answer and say, you know, please know that we have these procedures or processes in our parish, right? We have the ushers that, um, you know, that help with the communion and we still have a specific communion process for that. We've got hand sanitized, whatever the case may be. Right. We have an area that, 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 you know, people where people can sit and wear masks if they want to be, you know, further separated from, from everyone else, you know, whatever that that'll be one, one way. But, but I think that's, those are some of the short-term kind of fixes. Like you've got a, you've got a, a channel of communication, an open line of communication with, with them. But I think something then longer term needs to be done around the better understanding of the mass, because yeah. there might be another pandemic, you know, who knows, and we'll have to shut down again, hopefully not. Um, but it's still good for the soul for them to better understand the, the mass and, and why they need to be there. And if they don't, that's, that's obviously a problem. I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, maybe another another thing for them to mention is uh, we have Eucharistic ministers who are willing uh, to bring the Eucharist to you. And so, you know, we're going to put a button or we're going to put a form here, send us an email, give us a call yeah. if you'd like someone to bring the Eucharist. And that's maybe another way of engaging people and just understanding their comfort level. The, the, the Eucharistic minister could you know, wear a mask and go through any safety precautions needed, but it's just another way of engaging them in conversation. I, I agree. Getting rid of the, getting rid of the streaming, getting, you, you, they'll, I don't know that if you stop the streaming, that means they're going to just automatically come back to mass. I agree with your logic. And I think more than likely, they'll just find another parish or another church that is streaming. And then you will have lost that person in in your community. So um, keeping that, certainly keeping that service, maybe you don't need to stream every mass. Maybe you're just streaming one mass and it's recorded and it's available, but I I completely agree. You know, one question I wish I had asked um, is let's assume your parish stopped streaming. What would you do? find another parish that streams or just give up, right? Stop. You know, because that's the question I have. I, I just don't know what they'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. I think another, um, another thing that parishes can do, and I, I'm sure someone has this available is make short videos about the mass available to people on their website, um, put a link in their bulletins, send it out to emails to, to people. Right. Um, so that they understand, I think it's, affirming for those who may already know it, right, and are physically present, and then educational for those who are not. But again, I'm not, I'm not familiar with, with that type of video or resource. So, and I guess the reason that's important is because it's, I'm not putting the onus on the parishes by having to create that, which would be very difficult, right, and time-consuming mm-hmm. and, and, and expensive. But if one exists out there, and I'm, I'm, you know, maybe I'll look into some resources and see about posting them on my website as well as a resource to consider, because I think, I think catechesis around the mass is to me is the big thing that came out of this report is how, yeah. how, how, how desperately that's needed. Um, our, I had my pat, my Bishop, uh, in the diocese of Allentown on our podcast last year and around our 60th anniversary as a diocese, he, he, uh, named the theme return to the real presence, you know, and that's been the theme, uh, Eucharistically throughout the year, they've done a number of talks and, um, and that's just been kind of the, the they've, they've increased at time around adoration, 
but it's been a diocesan-wide effort. And I agree, it's difficult to put all of that on the parish, all that educational piece. It's great if it's supported through the diocese, but I'm sure, as you said, there are other resources available to parishes that will help them reinforce that message of the real presence, of the need for mass, of the, the whole catechesis piece. So important. So important. Right, right. And then you've got social media because a lot right. of a lot of people are on social media now, pastors and, and, and associate pastors. And yeah. whether it be Facebook or Instagram, depending on the generation you're looking to hit, um, you know, some of them are active. Now, how do you get them to be followed? I guess, anyway, they, it, it, it's, it's a problem that can be solved, I think. At least the short term, some of the short term actions can can be solved. Uh, and then, like I said, there's there's an, also a need for some longer term. One of the challenges that I've, um, just in, in, my, in my conversation with pastors and through some folks who work at the diocesan level is that some pastors, you know, the, our pastors were heroic during the pandemic. And uh, many of them didn't understand or know about the technology of streaming at the time, but they made it happen, right? They, they found somebody yeah. in the parish that helped them get their, their masses online. And it was just heartwarming to see how many of them use their own Facebook page or got their parishes online. My own pastor had our parish uh, wired with Wi-Fi so that he could then stream us on Facebook and on YouTube. It's just, it's just been tremendous. But I, but what I've heard from uh, from folks now that we're on the other side, a little bit of the pandemic, is just the stress. I think sometimes that might be on our pastors in that. There were all these services now that I provided during the pandemic, but now we're coming back in person. Now I have to provide all the services that were, you know, that I created during the pandemic, but now I have to do all the ones that we, mm. I had to provide while we were in person. So my heart goes out to the pastors from that perspective, because it's a lot of pressure to really navigate this changing world that we're in right now. Is, are you seeing some of that? I, I am. I am. And, and, um, I alluded to to a meeting I attended recently at our local parish, uh, which is really about family faith formation or just, you know, just faith formation in general. And, you know, there's a lot that they have to consider. Just you take just faith formation and that's that's a that's a lot to chew on. Mm-hmm. And you layer that on, you know, layer the fact that that's on top of, you know, the pandemic kind of kind of world in, in reality or post pandemic, hopefully at some point soon, mm-hmm. um, you know, reality that we're in. And so I agree. I, I do feel for them, which is. You know, so so with this information, I hope to help them in some way, not uh, right. not overwhelm them. Um, but again, it's information that they need to help prioritize, right? So, like, what are sure. the priorities? And this is one input uh, into you know several inputs that they have. Um, I would imagine to help them uh, prioritize because I think that's huge because you can't do everything. And so, like, no. so what's your priority? And I think exactly. it's I think it's a very effective when you when you can um, can prioritize in some way or. Think about who are we most trying to serve? You know, um, what is it? Rebuilt. There's a book, Rebuilt, yep, from I've the read uh, it. Church yep. of the Nativity. Uh, it's actually not too far from, from my house. Mm. And one of the things that they did, it's, it's in a, the, the church is, is located in a town called Timonium, Maryland. Yep. So what they did is they, they came up with a persona, Timonium Tim, right? Yep. And so they described him, you know, he's married or divorced or whatever the situation would be, has kids, doesn't. But they, in, in Catholic knowledge, right? Catholicity. And I said, we're going to focus on Timonium Tim. So everything we do revolves around Tim, right? And then, then they go off a little bit from that. And you know that it's not going to just serve Tim. But, but basically, the idea behind that was like having a grounding, right? Uh, and then a prioritization that they, could, that they could apply to that, that helped a lot in the decision-making uh, that they did as a parish. It's ironic you mentioned that book. Um, so I started our podcast here five years ago. And my, on my very first episode, I drove down to Tony in Maryland and I Did visited you? Church of the Nativity. So my first two episodes of Advancing Our Church, if anybody wants to go way back, 
was a two-part episode with Father Michael White uh, and the administrator of uh, of the parish. And I got to interview some of the parishioners there and some of the folks uh, in the cafe that they have outside. And that was yeah. while they were building the big, big parish, the, the big right. church building that they constructed a couple of years ago. Um, but I couldn't agree more because it really does. And they say in the book that it... Um, you know, it, it was a little off-putting to some people because people like things the way they were, you know, because it was kind of like a comfortable shoe that you put on. And But was it really reaching people? And so it really redirecting that to who's not here that should be here. And how do we make, how do we center our ministry around the weekend homily, around the weekend service, the weekend experience, I think is how they frame yes, it in the book. Yeah. And, and, and how do we make ourselves a more welcoming community? And, and really, whether it's offering babysitting for the really younger ones in the back or a cafe for young adults to be more hospitable or whatever it was, it's, it, you, you, see, you saw that when I drove in, you saw people out in the parking lot directing cars and welcoming you from the moment you got out of your car to the moment you sat in your pew it was really, it's an amazing place if, if anyone's in the area and wants to run down and see uh, the church in the Nativity, incredible place, incredible. I agree. I agree. And I was there before they built the new, uh, the new, uh, the new parish. So I haven't been there since, but I'll, I'll make a trip. It's only at 40 minutes from, from where we are. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to put a link to the full report, certainly in the show notes, as I said, at the top of the show. And I would encourage anyone, as we said, you know, to download the report and maybe even as a parish, as a finance council, a stewardship committee, a a pastoral council, whatever, just as different groups, take a look at it and see what are the different gems that we can pull out, you can pull out and, and make some of those items actionable. But um, but Hans, what's next for Vinia Research? What do you have on the horizon? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going through a process of identifying what future studies we want to do. Okay. Um, I did administer last fall a survey on the kerygma, <laughs> excuse me, which is basically about what 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 parts of the kerygma do people um, understand and believe in and what where do they struggle maybe a little bit and I, obviously i don't call it the kerygma i just go into the elements of the kerygma yeah um so i'll be reporting out on that in the next uh, month or so Great. but then we're, like at the same time we're, we're we're doing a parallel track to identify what the next su- survey is um i'm in a couple of conversations or one conversation in particular with uh, with another partner organization to see if um, it's not just Vinia but but others that are kind of contributing to the identifying identification of different study topics that we might do in the future. So I, I've planned to do a lot more of that. Plus, m- most of our work up until now has been with individual apostolates or the USCCB or individual organizations. Basically, uh, this is the first uh, public one, I guess, that, that we're doing. So we'll still continue our our work with um, you know privately commissioned work, but then. Also want to make some some projects available, you know, more more um, you know more publicly to the general public, which is wonderful. And the more organizations you work with, the more great expertise and um, yeah. and, and wonderful data you're going to bring to all the projects that you're working on. So that's just wonderful. Maybe we'll have the opportunity to work together at some point in the future. I hope so. I that's hope wonderful. So. Well, Hans, I want to thank you for being on Advancing Our Church. Thank you for all you're doing in service to the church. Thank you for making the transition from the commercial <laughs> industry and bringing all of your great expertise and knowledge uh, to the world of, of the church. And so grateful to you for sharing this report publicly with all of us. Thank you. It's very rewarding for me to hear be, um, you know, in my early 50s and have a new, I don't know, new energy, I guess, in in, in my career, right, from from taking, you know, the, all that I learned over the couple of decades and, yeah. and applying it to, to, to the church. It's really incredibly rewarding. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And uh, God bless you and all of your work. And, and we'll stay in touch. And maybe we'll have you back for the next one. 
the next Sounds report. Great, that you Thanks so much. God bless. All right. God bless. I want to thank Hans for joining us on our show today. I will leave a link to the study in the show notes of this episode and a link to Vinia's website. Thank you again for joining us today, Hans, and thank you for all the important work that you do to serve our church. If this is your first time listening to Advancing Our Church, I hope you'll stick around and subscribe. You can find us on all places where you download your favorite podcasts. You can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And for more information about our show, of course, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. Have a terrific week. God bless. We'll see you back here in two weeks.